Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. When we talk about the Bible, it's really easy to go into the Bible when you read it. And if you read the Bible with preconceived ideas of who God is and what he's like, you kind of might have to shoehorn things to get scripture to fit. And for those of you who don't know what that is, like when you can't fit your foot into a shoe, you have this little device that you can kind of like smash your foot in there to get in there. And a lot of times as a church, we'll hold these doctrinal ideas And certain scriptures fit, you know, like you can get your toes in there and you can get half your foot in there, but then you'll come across other scriptures. You're like, ah, that doesn't fit. And so and so for me, I know that that I have personally had doctrine and ideas that were taught to me going to church. And I would just read my Bible from cover to cover. And I was like, that doesn't really fit. And that verse kind of contradicts that. And I've changed several doctrinal uh, things that I was taught growing up, like uh, pre-trib rapture is one of them. I just came across too many verses that pointed uh, at least to a mid-trib. And as Brandon taught when he taught on the subject, I think it's right before Jesus returns. Um, there's a term in, in theological circles or Bible teachers called exegesis. And it's like, what does that fancy word mean? And all it means is like when you read your Bible, you have to not just read it, but say, OK, what's the context? Who's it to? Is this hyperbole? Is this um, artistic, like poetry? Is this judgment? Is it prophecy? Like, what's going on here? Who's it to? Uh, what are the conditions? And and you have to take all scripture in light of other scripture. You can never take one piece of scripture and just like. And a great example is Jesus says, "Unless you hate your family, you can't be my disciple." And you're like. God wants me to hate my family. No, 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 no. He's using hyperbole. He's using an extreme example to show um, that God must take our, the number one spot in our heart throne. And then, you know, obviously everyone comes second. So the Bible must interpret the Bible. And one of the oldest debates in Christianity is, are we saved by faith? Are we saved by works? Is it both? And I'm going to do my best to answer this question tonight, which is kind of a, an interesting topic. And, and it just, uh, as Brandon taught last week, it kind of leads into this discussion. So we're going to start with Ephesians uh, 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pretty cut and dry. Romans 4.1, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was, account, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So based on those scriptures, we are clearly saved by faith. 
Now, who was Paul? You got to look at like, okay, this is the whole exegesis thing. Like, who was Paul? He was a Pharisee. What was their life like? These guys were gnarly. They had the first five books of Moses memorized by the time they were 13. Try doing one of the books by the picking age, you know, like memorizing the whole book of Genesis. Good luck. These guys were so gnarly with their, with their Bible memorization, and they followed the law, all these laws of the Old Testament, to the smallest detail. So, like, when it told people to tithe 10%, they would take, like, their basil and tithe 10 or their, like, all their spices and all the different things. And they were, like, so into following the law because they wanted to do the right thing. And so coming out of this Pharisee culture, Paul knew that they were all trying to earn their way to heaven, right? Like if you do enough good deeds, then you'll go to heaven. And there's actually several religions that still hold that type of a doctrine. So Islam is one of those and Mormonism is one of those. So like basically their theology is that if you do enough good things, you'll get in, and if you don't, you won't, and so, but you're not sure, you have no guarantee. And so because of that, like, Utah has one of the highest depression rates in the country, and the highest uh, percentage of, like, antidepressants, because it's stressful, like, am I in, am I not in, they have no guarantee of their salvation. And, and what a burden of, like, having to earn your salvation, right? So it just puts this big weight on your back. Now, why is it important we, we get saved by faith and not by works? Like, why is, it, why is it so important that Paul says this? Well, I want to go back to Ephesians 2.8, just read it again. It says, for, for grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Nobody likes a bragger. If you've ever been, as your friends are bragging about something, you're hanging out with somebody and they're telling you about how awesome they are all the time, it's like, oh, it's cool, but after a while it becomes like kind of toxic if they just do nothing but brag about themselves. And can you imagine if we all earned our way to heaven, like everyone's, we're, we're all at our favorite coffee shop in heaven, it's like, you know what I did to get in here? Check this out. I walked 20 old ladies across the street in one day and it's like, oh yeah, well... I visited so-and-so in the hospital every day for a year. And it's like this whole, like, you know, no one would want that, right? So God in his wisdom established, like, we don't deserve heaven. We actually deserve hell based on our actions. And so the gift of salvation is that. It's a gift of faith, not of work, so that no one may boast. But since the Bible teaches that we are saved from faith and believing, what bad problems or, or ideas can come out of that, right? So what can come out of that? And, um, and the most you know, obvious is, well, if I'm saved by faith and not by what I do, then I guess what I do doesn't really matter, so I can kind of do whatever. And um, leads to this license plate picture that you'll see sometimes. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And although that's doctrine, Trinally true, that is very, very true. It kind of sets this like, eh, don't pay attention to what I do. It doesn't really matter. Just you got to put up with how much of a jerk I am. And I just cut you off as you're reading this like thing in traffic, but I'm forgiven. So it's all good, you know. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, how much sin can I commit and still go to heaven? Like these are the types of ideas that come when it's like saved by faith. 
right? And um, the problem with overemphasizing one side or the other historically, you've got to remember like where we're at in church history. So the church has changed dramatically over the centuries. If you start from the early apostles and you see all the different things and, uh, you know, the Eastern Church and the Western Church split, and then the Protestant Reformation. There's been all these changes in what was taught, how people thought of church um, throughout history. And you got to imagine like a scale. On one side is, you know, you got to earn your way to salvation, right? And at one point, the Catholic Church was literally selling salvation. Like if you spend enough money, we guarantee you that you and your family will go to heaven. So that's on one extreme. And then the other extreme is like, oh, you just got to believe in nothing that you do matters, right? So these are like these two extremes. And so like Paul with the Pharisees, Paul was dealing in a Pharisee culture. So he was heavily emphasizing that we have to, our salvation comes by faith, right? It comes not by what we do. So no one's bragging in heaven. It comes by that we believe and it's a gift. Well, when the Protestant Reformation, which started with Luther in the 1500s, when that happened, they were dealing with that Catholic church that was like way over here on you earn your way to salvation. And so what did they do? They did the knee jerk reaction and they overemphasized that it's just by faith. And, and, and so in Reformed and all the stuff, it's really, really pushed that it's just saved by faith and works has nothing to do with that. And so hundreds and hundreds of years of that, like what has that done to our culture as Christians and how people view us? Um, great example of, of like, if someone was to tell you that they're big up, Bitcoin and crypto is like really big right now. So if someone's an investor and they invest, that's what they do for a living, like Brandon, is, he's a financial advisor, right? So if someone, someone is an investor for a living and they're just talking your ear off about Bitcoin and they're like, man, this is the wave of the future. This is the future currency of the internet. And they're talking about all the different stuff and it's open source code and they're giving you all the reasons of why this is gonna be a game changer. And you're like, oh man, yeah, this sounds awesome. Like how much of your portfolio is in Bitcoin? Oh, like 5%. You're like, huh? Wait, wait, what? If you're so into it, like why have you invested so little? You know, it's like the... The proof's not in the pudding kind of a thing. It's like if someone's saying they're all in on something and, and you don't see the evidence, you question, do they really believe that? And let's say like as Christians, it's like let's say a communist nation was to take over America and make Christianity against the law and someone accused you of being a Christian, would they have enough evidence in a court of law by your actions to convict you of being a Christian, right? So these are things that we all need to think about as we look at our lives, like, does my life tell people that I love Jesus or does my life tell people that I, I'm just like the world and like everybody else? Did Paul believe faith alone without works was enough to save you? Well. The question is, well, look at Paul's life. What was his life like? What did he do? How did he act? What, I mean, if you look at, that guy was all in. The guy had been stoned, beaten. He was willing to give up his entire freedom and life for the gospel. So clearly he believed that it wasn't just words. It's easy to say words today, especially on the internet. Anyone can say anything, right? But, but show me the actions that like back it up. And notice what Paul says this is the same Paul, same guy. So Romans 2, 13. 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. That sounds like works to me, right? Like you, it's, it's based on action. Romans 3.31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So just like in the time of Paul, so Paul was emphasizing because he's dealing with the culture of Pharisees that were so like religious and thought that you earned your way to heaven that they were extreme on that side. And so Paul overemphasizes, and he needed to, that we're saved by faith alone. And that is very, very true. But if you take that out of context of what he's saying, and you say, well, I'm just saved by faith, and I can just believe in Jesus and then live my life however I want, people take their Christianity very lazy-like. And um, even me and Brian were talking about how something that you rarely hear from the pulpit these days is spiritual disciplines. Like these things historically that people have done, it's like if someone says that they want to be in shape, I mean, they're getting up early, they're running, they're doing push-ups, they go to the gym. There's like these things. If you, if you want to be healthy, you have to do these things, right? And as Christians, if we want to have a healthy relationship with God and be spiritually healthy, we have to read our Bible all the time. We have to pray all the time. We have to have fellowship. You guys, you guys are in church, so it's like, I'm preaching at the choir, you know? But you guys are taking time out of your day to come and be filled and to worship God. So you're, this is what it takes, right? To, to constantly be reminded of what is truth and what due north is. Like, because as soon as you leave those doors the world's going to tell you that all this other stuff matters and we're going to be bombarded by the news and scary stuff. And, and so this is our reminder to stay um, true north, to, to follow the truth. So as Paul you know, pushes the save by faith, which is very, very true, Christians were taking it out of context. And they say, well, I guess I can just believe and do what I want, right? So this led to James who was one of the main leaders of the early church. So everyone says that Peter was the guy, but it looks like it was kind of a mixture of Peter, John, and James. And when you read Acts, it almost looks like, I mean, we can't know for sure, but it looks like James might have had the final say. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And um, what's so interesting about Jesus' brothers is none of them believed in Jesus until he rose from the dead. And, and Jesus walked the earth for 40 days before he went back up to heaven. That's a long time. And I would imagine that he probably spent a decent amount of time with his brothers because after he did, James is now the leader of the church. One of the leaders, not the leader, but one of them. Uh, so this leads us to James 2.14, which is, is where this all comes from. So in James 2.14, notice how he responds. He's responding to Christians taking Paul's words out of context. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have work. So you're already seeing that people are starting to take this out of context in churches, and he's addressing this. How can you have one without the other? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Notice what he says, verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Satan sees the Father and the Son 
all the time. It calls him the daily accuser of the brethren. He sees God Almighty and believes in him way more than we do, and yet he's completely opposed to his commandments. So it says, uh, even the demons believe and shudder. Verse 20, do you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So now he's referencing Abraham, which is what Paul was referencing in Romans. So it's, it's, he's giving the healthy balance to this doctrine of Abraham being um, justified by his belief. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The same verse that Paul quoted. And he was called a friend of God. Don't you want to be called a friend of God? What a title. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And that's um, when they were going to the promised land and they sent spies and she did the right thing and sided with God's people. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I've said this several times, but salvation is like getting a job or getting married. The verbal contract is just the beginning. You got a lot of work to do. So like if I say I'm going to work for you, that's what that's what it's the same thing. We, we are saved by faith. We make a profession to Jesus and say, you're God. I believe in you and I accept your forgiveness for my sins and I'm going to follow you. Right. So that's the verbal contract, just like a job. But if I hire someone and they agree to the job and then they don't show up, even if I've given them a shirt and a hat and all this different stuff, do they really work for me? Right? They can go around town telling everyone that they work for me and they've even got my shirt and my hat that I gave them, but if they don't actually show up, do they work for me? Same thing, if someone says they're married and they're at the bar every night till two in the morning, you're like, and then they go home with their friends instead of with their, you're like, wait, I thought you're married, right? Like, so their actions have to line up with what their faith says. Uh, Eric and me were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and he, he, he quoted this C.S. Lewis quote, and it's so perfect. It says, regarding the debate about faith and works, it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most important. Can't have one without the other. So on this like scale of going this way, in American Christianity today, do we need to focus more on works or faith? Well, let me read you a, a little clip out of a Huffington Post article from a few years ago, which says, ah, Christianity in America, or should I say the single greatest cause of atheism today? You know who I'm talking about, right? The type of people who acknowledge Jesus with their words and deny him through their lifestyle. That's from the world. So we've got this acceptance in American Christianity that you can say one thing and do another. Now, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, okay? When Jesus was coming, he got everyone ready. And during his day, the exact same problem was occurring like we have in America today. All these Jews thought they were going to heaven because they were sons of Abraham. Well, I'm Jewish by, by birthright, so what I do doesn't matter. 
right? And they would treat people horribly, and they were mean, and they would steal, and they would lie, and all these things. But they're like, I'm a son of Abraham, so I'm good. So John the Baptist shows up, and notice what he says in Matthew 3.10. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In the book of Luke, he even says, you think you're, you're special because you're sons of Abraham? God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. Like, God doesn't need your DNA, you know, your, your 23andMe or whatever, like, all that stuff. He does, that doesn't matter with God. What matters is what you do. And let's take the words of Jesus, because when it comes to any of this stuff, what I say really doesn't matter, right? Like, well, my pastor told me that I could... I could steal from my boss and God would forgive me. Or my pastor told me that, you know, that it's okay for me to, to do whatever, whatever sin that you think is okay, just put in, put in the, there that my pastor said, right? Well, I have to stand on what Jesus said, and that's what is really important to you, is not what I say, but what Jesus says. And notice what Jesus says in Luke 6.43, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Orange trees produce oranges, and apple trees produce apples, and they don't like mix. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks and notice what jesus says and just replace lord with boss so say why do you call me boss boss and do not do what i tell you so jesus is very much looking at what people are doing and the bible calls jesus the judge of the earth and this is perfect justice is that the person who, when we all die, we are literally going to stand before Jesus, and he will judge us. It says that Abraham called him the judge of all the earth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so it says very clearly in the Bible that the Father has given all judgment to the Son, which means it is Jesus who will either send them to heaven or send them to hell. Now imagine being judged by the person who died to save you from hell. It's, and knows every thought, action, motivation. He's not fooled by anything, right? And if I question when people lean on this faith thing a lot harder, because obviously we, we are saved by faith, so no one's bragging in heaven, right? But when you lean too hard on that, what I would, I would challenge you to do is read through your New Testament and find me a single verse where Jesus is judging people by what they believe. There's only one verse I can think of in Luke 18 where he says, will the Son of Man find faith? But he's not judging them by their faith. Every single time Jesus is talking about judgment, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, it's always by what they do, which is why he's talking about a tree and its fruit. So your actions... Prove what you are. As the saying goes, if it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's a duck. So what we have in society is we have all these people 
who are quacking like ducks and telling people they're cats, right? And it's like, wait, just like the Huffington Post thing. So it's like, you guys say with your, your mouth that you're a Christian, but I'm seeing all this other stuff on the other side that doesn't line up. And so Jesus gave the most stern warning to people when he said, you know, people will come to me when they die and say, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do all these things? And he goes, I, I don't even know who you are because you guys don't do what I say. They didn't do the actual things. Now, if we're at a place in our lives where we're not like, we're like, oh, no, I, I need to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And if you're concerned about it, that's a really good sign because the Holy Spirit is always convicting us. That's when you can tell that when someone is a, a child of God, because when they're up to no good, uh, they're worried about it. <laughs> if you're up to no good and you don't care, that's a really bad sign. So um, how can you bear fruit as a Christian if you're not bearing fruit? And the simple answer is follow and obey the words of Jesus. It's, it's that easy. And I'm going to finish with John uh, 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're not seeing fruit in your life, and we talked about it, fruit also comes in seasons. It's not all the time. So you might be going through a winter right now. Maybe in your life, I know there's areas of my life where I'm in the winter, but I'm not giving up on Jesus. I'm still showing up. I'm obeying him. I'm loving him. I'm following him no matter what. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, just gives up, turns around, goes to the world, does whatever he wants, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And as you guys know, if you ever do any pruning or, you know, we don't always have fires outside, but in the old world, there's, everyone has like fires and that's how they keep themselves warm. And so you cut all these dead branches from your tree and you throw it in the fire. And it's this analogy of like the judgment of God to those who don't do what he says. And in a couple of weeks, I want to do a message about fighting God. Because in our world, we think that God has to be like ambivalent or whatever if someone goes against him. And if you read the Bible, you'll learn very quickly that God is into blessing and cursing. And there's not a lot of in between. So you can read it in Genesis, he, or in, um, in Deuteronomy, sorry. He has the children of Israel go on two different mountains, and he pronounces all the blessings if they do what he says, and he pronounces all the cursings if they don't do what he says. And it's so offensive to God that he gave us life, he gave us food, he gave us music and sunsets and all these different things, and all he's asking us to do is to just follow him and do what he says. And... God knows better than we do. He's way smarter than us. And he, trust me, all these people who think that the dating culture of just like sleeping around with everyone is so awesome, they're miserable. And guess what? For those people that do what God says and wait to get married and, and are faithful, they have so much more joy than, than the people out there who are just doing whatever. So I can take it from me firsthand but I can tell you that the richness of love that you have when you do think God's way is so much sweeter than anything that the world can offer. We just have to obey and follow. So let me pray for us and we'll go back into a time of worship. Holy Father, you know what's best for us. You are God Almighty. You love us. 
You care for us. Just like a parent telling their kid to clean their room, you're not asking us to do these things because you, you dislike us. You ask us to do these things because you know it's what's best for us. And Father, help us to trust you in the decisions where we're not obeying you. Help us to trust you in any part of our life where we haven't given you authority, where we haven't declared that you are God. Uh, By the grace of your Holy Spirit, help us to constantly turn to you in our fears and our worries and not to turn to the other things of the world that medicate for a second, but they leave us cold, empty, and, and, and feeling worse, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just fall fresh upon everyone in this congregation, that they would know that you love them, that you're not strict with us, God, because you hate us. You're strict with us because you love us. And just like any good parent will discipline their kid, you discipline us, God, because you love us and you want what's best for us. So help us, Father, to turn from our sin, to turn to you, and to walk in action with our faith as we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time, 